Greetings, citizens and civvies. You're tuned into episode six of Guard Frequency. Yes, we made it all the way to six. As all good pilots know, when you're in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This episode was recorded live on the 18th of January and made available for download the 21st of January at guardfrequency.com. I'm Jeff. I'm Tony. And I'm Lennon. We're only going to say this one more time, so pay attention. The Guard is a specific frequency that all aircraft and control towers should be monitoring constantly. If someone out there is having an in-flight emergency, they may send a mayday on that channel. Other pilots and towers in the area will answer back on that channel with instructions. So if you find yourself on the wrong side of a jail cell because you thought the police officer was the stripper, you're going to want to get help, stat. And this is the last time we're going to tell you this is how you get help. So this is where you can tune in and know that you're going to get help from the community. Or maybe you'll be there to help out a fellow citizen or civvy. If you want to get a feel for our style of broadcast, check out a few of our episodes over at our sister production, www.priorityonepodcast.com. We want to say hello to all of our Priority One listeners tuning in. This show will probably evolve in its own direction over time, but if you guys know us from Priority One, you know we deliver a quality show that is so sharp, Crocodile Dundee mistook it for a knife. To deliver quality shows like Priority One and Guard Frequency, it takes the constant effort of a team of people to do what we do. And if you want to help out, we'll tell you how at the end of the show. That covers the housekeeping, so let's get to the show. What do we have this week, Lennon? Well, in this week's Squawk Box, we see how Chris Roberts' vision compares to some real-life fighters. In CIG News, we get you caught up with all the latest bits of knowledge to land in our grubby little mitts. And then we tell you all about the freelancer in Nuggets for Nuggets. And finally, we let you all know how you can get in the feedback loop and join in our conversation. So, let's see what's coming through in the Squawk Box. Do you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. Crypto, crypto, crypto. This is Tony saying, "Welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. This is our segment where we will bring you rumors, wishes, technology, oddities, pretty much anything else that uh, somehow remotely connected to Star Citizen or Squadron Forty Two. And that's the last time we're going to tell you that too. This week, let's talk dollars, cents, pounds, lira, drachmas, imperials, benjamins, and credits." You know, good old cashy money. Chris Roberts has often compared the fly-by-wire thruster-based flight model in Star Citizen to the flight controls of the upcoming F-35 Joint Strike Fighter. That aircraft has been in the news quite a bit as its costs and performance have been under fire. Get ready. An F-35 fighter's average cost? Right now, estimated around $220 million a pop. Wow. There's a lot of controversy around that number, seeing as how the plane's only been in the air for a couple years, and it's only recently been delivered to a training squadron in the U.S. And countries are constantly coming in and out, revising how many they're going to order and over what period of time. But I thought as an exercise, we should take a look at some real-world operational aircraft and try to compare them to a Star Citizen ship and think about where their eventual relative in-game costs maybe ought to be. So let's get ready, guys. Get out your pencils. Okay. The Retaliator, kind of related to the B-2 Spirit bomber, the average cost of that around 740 
million. The Gladiator maybe kind of takes a cue or two from the B-1B Lancer, average cost around $240 million. The Starfarer, well, that's a lot like the K-46 refueling tanker, average cost $190 million. The 325A, the Origin 300 variant, that is a fighter variant, well, that's supposed to be like the BMW. Well, let's look at the Eurofighter Typhoon, average cost $120 million. The Anvil Hornet, well, how about a real Hornet? The FA-18E Super Hornet, average cost around $60 million. The M50, well, that's a fast twin-engine fighter, much like the F-15C Eagle, average cost about $30 million. Aurora, well, the F-16 Falcon Fighter is a common single-engine, jack-of-all-trades, everybody's-got-one fighter, average cost about $20 million. And the Avenger, the old, retired, but still reliable, Kind of like the A4R, the Fighting Hawk, average cost around $8 million. So we got everything from around $8 million all the way up to three quarters of a billion. So guys, what do you think? Is that a pretty good range of costs for the fighters and ships you'll be able to get in the game? It is a pretty good range of cost. I also think the thing with the Strike Fighter is that costs will come down as it gets more prevalent. And I think that's true for in-game items as well as real-world equivalencies, you know, as airframes become more used and more massively produced, those costs generally drop. So I think that we'll see the game mechanics also reflect that as what's going on in the real world as well. It is a staggering range of prices, though. I mean, $8 million, uh, you know, that's fairly on the cheap end, really. $740 million for a B2? Wow. I mean, that's, just, that's a 100-fold. You know, that's, that's two orders of magnitude. I mean, yeah. think about it in terms of the game. I mean, I guess, you know, the Idris Corvette, $1,500, and you can get a Aurora for 30 bucks. I guess that's what you got. I mean, that's a two-order of magnitude difference. Having said that, yeah, there are ships that retail for $40, but then somebody did pay $15,000 for the completionist pack. So, you know, they're, they're yeah, well, you know, just proves there is a market the envelope there. here. And, yep. Well, the completionist pack also got you got a bunch of other you know goodies to go with it. Yeah, it wasn't just one plane, I guess. Yeah, printed stuff and all that kind of thing. You know, you got to you know, Chris Roberts was your new best friend. Can you really put a price tag on that? Yeah, I just I wish there was something to equate to the Harrier, which is my favorite aircraft. So I. I... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I think just about all of the ships in this game are vertical takeoff and landing. Well, citizens and civilians, have you read, seen, or heard something you think might be interesting to the others? Well, why not drop it to us through email, squawk at guardfrequency.com. For now, though, let's check out some CIG news. Speed 175, Port Bay, hands on approach, checker screen, call the ball. Don't get technical with me. And this week's crowdfunding update, ending January 18th, 2014, 36,804,374, almost to the Tanga system. I think we'll probably see that sometime in the middle of next week. Wouldn't surprise me. And we've got 12,643 alpha slots left and almost 364,000 registered users. Okay, citizens and civilians, a place that looks about as appealing to visit as Swansea on a Thursday evening and probably has the smell to match. The latest treat from Cloud Empyrean Games is the introduction of the Geddon system. Woo! Owned by the Banu Protectorate, this system features a solitary planet that kind of looks like the inner bowels of Mount Vesuvius rather than a lush green Terran paradise, but that makes it perfect for black glass and grey oil. 
Although it is low in criminal standing, you will certainly be able to find chemicals on the black market here, as the polar ice caps are home to what's known as bad ice, an illegal form of ice comprised of water and distillable poisons. Geddon is brought to us by reaching the $4 million stretch goal and the letter Q. January 14th, 2884. A day you will all remember. Today on This Day in History, we salute one of the fallen heroes of science, Dr. Russell Vallon. As you all know, Dr. Vallon was a passionate man who loved nothing more than engines. But more than that, Dr. Vallon was a man with a dream. A dream that those who follow after him will no longer have to scour the universe for jump points to navigate. That the children of humanity can extend their reach to the furthest and closest stars through scientific and technological breakthroughs by traveling at speeds close to or exceeding those of light. That mankind could cast aside the shackles of being slave to particular points in space that can be restricted, closed off, and that mankind will embrace their place as free beings among the stars, as distances that were once thought so great will seem as small as stepping off the back porch. But this day, the gods had a different fate in store. As Dr. Vallum activated his chariot engine, a catastrophic failure occurred, and we lost one of science's greatest minds and one of man's greatest dreamers. For more information on Dr. Russell Vallum, be sure to check out This Day in History over at the Robert Space Industries website. So guys, FTL mechanics. Let's chat about uh, game lore versus game mechanics. Jump points, you know, Battlestar Galactica style instant translations makes good video games for uh, instancing. But warp drive and hyperdrive, those are probably more common sci-fi tropes like, you know, NASA's even funding research into a chariot-like engine right now. So what do you guys think? Is Chris Roberts hedging on his jump points a little bit here with this fiction? I remember the Wing Commander series and, and where you had a jump point. Sometimes it was related to some kind of gravitational anomaly of some kind. But I'm not sure that you could set up ambushes you flew through it you didn't want to hang around it yeah i think that with the way that the fiction is written it's very much trying to shape the universe to fit the game mechanics because like you said for instancing purposes they kind of need an an entrance and an exit the space itself can obviously have a border but it's not going to be one massive connected open universe in order to get to the next star system you will have to go to a specific exit marker and travel through it that way so i think that what we're actually seeing here in the fiction is their way of saying well the reason we can't just point the ship in a straight line and go is because there's no way to do ftl they were unsuccessful in their previous attempts at it obviously the ship that the chariot engine was on blew up but that obviously paves the way for those micro jump engines or certainly engines that can get you across the system quickly it's just the interstellar or the intersystem travel i think is going ah. to be only done through jump points so so this is more like a, an in fiction way to discuss their breakthrough engine that will allow you to zip intra system faster perhaps not yes. exceeding the speed of light but you know faster than you could go on just a chemical thruster yeah exactly because if oh, you okay, I like that yeah i mean if you take standard distances even within our own solar system it takes six months to get to mars and that's the next planet over but i'm, I'm not sitting here for six months waiting until i can <laughs> find someone to blow them the crap out of the sky i mean uh, before i can go and help someone who's in a genuine right. emergency so right. yeah i think that's how they're building up to the intrasystem engines rather than the extra system engines all right that's this week's community question is this the first hint of an in-game alternative to the jump point is it the beginning of our intra system speed explanation 
What's a preferable mode of galactic travel to you? Do you want to make it 0.5 past light speed or hit warp factor 9.9? Or are you happy spinning up the FTL and starting the clock? Let us know. You can answer us on our show post on guardfrequency.com or on our forum post at rsi.com. The latest Lore Builder, Issue 12, is out now, featuring more squadron numbering and introducing us to famous faces from around the UEE. So, for your lore fix, and to make sure that you're keeping up with the Space Kardashians, head over to Robert Space Industries' website. Links, of course, will be in our show notes. Citizens and civilians, and Jeff, Tony, I'd like to introduce a new section in CRG News that I've pretty okay. much just invented. Um, All right. Okay, my title for it is, Where the F*** is the Dogfighting Module? Hmm. Um, yeah. I'm going to work on that title maybe a little bit. but Yeah, yeah possibly. Concept, um, yeah, good concept. So what I thought that we could do in this segment is just let everybody know a few of our favorite things that are keeping us occupied until the dogfighting module drops that might help everybody just scratch that itch. Well, this week I picked up a game in the Humble Bundle called Strike Suit Zero. It's a really fun, arcadey little space sim shoot-em-up type thing. You know, it's it's very arcadey in its style. It's certainly not a full-on space sim, so just... Jeff, I know you've got your $800 Warhog, but I don't think you're really going to be getting much out of it. Graphically, it's pretty cool. Basically, the rough premise is you are a disgraced pilot that has to earn their way back through the military somehow. You're sent off on a training mission, and surprise, surprise, things go a little bit awry, and the enemies start attacking, and you've just got to assist your wingmen in helping defend. It's really cool, though, if you want to practice before the dogfighting module hits, because unlike a lot of other space games out there, if you were to go with, say, Star Trek Online or EVE Online, with this, it's just literally you've got your joystick you've got a 360 field view and you go and you just shoot down enemy fighters but it's really good fun it keeps you well entertained so i definitely definitely be going along with that uh what about you guys what have you been doing to keep yourselves occupied well i dug through my uh, old boxes of stuff and i pulled out the x-wing alliance cd roms that i have and uh, spent a lot longer than i should have downloading mods and patches and installers and stuff to try to get that game from 1999 to run on my Windows 7 machine. Well, did that long ago? Yeah. Worth every minute of it, though. I'm having mm-hmm. so much fun. The game, I think, stands the test of time once you get it sort of updated and patched so you can play it widescreen and get it to run on your more modern machines. But just a lot of fun. The voice acting was is, was great. The immersion was fun. And shooting down TIE fighters. I mean, you know, you just can't beat shooting <laughs> I was going to say, where can you go wrong with that? That's just You can't go wrong with shooting down TIE fighters. So, yeah. So I'm getting my space sim reflexes back a little bit. Still be getting frustrated by the cargo carrying missions where if you just take oh, one yes. missile hit, your cargo pod just blows up and you got to restart the thing. It's just, that's I, just always annoying. I don't miss that at all. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Jeff? Well, I was going to talk about X Rebirth and Eve, but I did find something this week that made my heart sing. Jumpgate, which was released in 2000. The original MMO Space Sim closed its doors in 2012, so it ran for 12 years. Is back, and it's back. Oh, really? Up, yeah, it's back. Mm. And, and if you go to jumpgate-tri.org, you can sign up, and it's free. And you can get your stick and throttle fixed. A lot of the old players are back. It's really nice to see it back up, and it really does do a lot to get that Space Sim fix in. It's not as shiny as some of the newer Sims, but it has a huge following. Cool. All right, guys. Well, that's our next community question. Do you have any cool games to help you pass the time before the dogfighting module is released? Are you working on a cool tie-in project? You want to let us know about the latest HOTUS you bought? Get in touch with us by commenting on this episode's show post at guardfrequency.com or by leaving a comment in the show thread over on the RSI website. 
And speaking of things to keep us occupied, I have a small confession. Once again, I spent way too much time playing things, and apparently in the last 24 hours, not only has the latest Wingman's Hangar dropped, but also the 10 for the Chairman and Chris Roberts visits Foundry 42. However, I hear you guys have listened to them, so I'm going to pass this over to you. So, is there anything interesting in Wingman's Hangar? As always, there's always good information, but I like the organization stuff that's coming out. I'm always big on building camaraderie and friendships in our games. So I'm pleased that they're spending a lot of time on doing organizations. From what I gathered, internal testing, some invitees, subscribers, or some deep subscribers, I think those are the top subscribers, are getting access to it. We should see to the rest of us within a week or two. Yeah, hopefully uh, by the time you guys hear the podcast, it should be close. They weren't promising the week of the 21st, but uh, they were were hoping, depending on the results of the stress test that they were going to do. So, yeah, that'll be great. Uh, Don't forget, guys, guard frequency response. Not too late to jump on that thread and join us, but we'll be having our... Uh, organization out there once that system goes live so feel free to hop in did you guys watch 10 for the chairman i did see 10 for the chairman anything jump at you there no it's stuff that we've already talked about there or people asking deeper questions death mechanics of course we covered but there wasn't anything really popped out well i mean one thing i think that we can take away from that is that those questions that are being submitted by subscribers and by the community in general are taken seriously because we covered that mechanic last week a little bit how if your avatar dies after being repeatedly blown out of the sky you know your beneficiary will inherit your reputation to some extent and your citizenship status is going to be based at least partially on that reputation and so the question was do you directly inherit the citizenship and Chris Roberts was like, I don't know. We have to figure that out. So it's good that the community involvement is taken very seriously by the developers, and we, we sort of poke holes in their intellectual architecture and make them consider some things that maybe they hadn't thought of. Well, before we move on to uh, Nuggets for Nuggets, we want to give you an update on the Foundry 42 contest. Winners have now been announced over on the RSI website, and we want to give a very big, heartfelt congratulations from everyone here at Guard Frequency to the lucky, lucky b- who won the sweet, sweet loot. I hope the packaging has too much sticky tape on it, that it's annoying to open, and that the leather jacket smells of old cheese. You're here. And with the latest updates from CIG News done, let's get back to basics with Nuggets for Nuggets. You have all flown before, but you're about to enter a whole new world, so pay attention. That means get on your feet, Nuggets. Hello, sits and sieves, and welcome to Nuggets for Nuggets. This is our section of the show where we delve into the mechanics of Star Citizen and give you all the gory details from the inside out. Just a bit of a warning, this game, as you know, is still in active development, so all the information given is subject to change. Two weeks ago, we put up a poll and asked you, dear listeners, what ship would you like us to analyse in depth for you? The winner, by an absolute nose, was the Misk Freelancer. Woo! Yes, yes, yes. Congratulations. <laughs> I, ha- I, ha- I suspect that there might have been a thumb on the scale, but I'll was hold my suspicions. genuinely no rigging. All right. Well, freelancers are ships that are designed for the long haul, favored by most major corporations for getting goods from point A to point B. This is the sort of semi-truck or the Arctic lorry of the Star Citizen universe. Their gigantic cargo bay also makes them ideal for outfitting as dedicated exploration ships for those who like to boldly go where no sentient has gone before. 
standing at 32 meters end to end and 8 meters high, or about 100 foot long and 25 foot high if you're one of those weird countries not using the metric system, and capable of carrying 20 tons of cargo with a maximum crew of two, this ship is great for solo or co-op play, and with 10 upgrade slots, this ship can be as flexible as you need it to be when you're out in the deep black. Fitted out with 8 Zytec maneuvering thrusters, 2 TR-5 engines, and a Beijing GH-140M shield that has a max shield rating of 5, we don't know what that means yet or what it is in metric shield ratings. The Freelancer can take a few hits and is pretty nimble, but it's definitely no tank or speed demon. Now let's talk about the weapons. The Freelancer is capable of being outfitted with four class 2s, two class 3s, and one class 4. Or to put that another way, you can have up to four articulated guns, two missiles, ECM units, special scanners, that sort of thing, and one turret. As standard, she comes loaded with two bearing Mark VI laser cannons, two bearing Executioner twin missiles under the wing, and one bearing M5A twin turret. Okay, so let's talk about the ship. Jeff, where's the weak spot? Well, the weak spot here is going to be speed, of course, you know, carrying all that stone. Um, you know, she's, <laughs> she's going to be lumbering. You have to be a really conscious pilot and knowing where your power is going to be. You can't just power your engines and then try to power all your weapons and keep your shields up. So it's going to be a power management nightmare, I think, if you come under attack. Yeah, I'm, I'm very certain that my only response to being under attack is to just sort of do a combination of a turtle and a leopard. That is, get my ass inside my shell and get the hell out of there before anything can start hitting. Are you going to really bother arming it then? I'm not too sure. I might have the odd couple of guns just for, you know, primary defense, just to if someone's being a bit of an opportunist, I might be able to just bloody their nose and make them think twice. But certainly in EVE, I've not bothered arming any of my mining barges and exploration vessels. So no, I normally go for the best engines and the best shields I can possibly get because those that fight and run away live to fight another day. And this is true. I think some good turret systems where you can knock down some incoming missiles or whatnot and keep your shields up and get your ass out of there. Is basically what you're going to be doing on this boat. Yeah, I think uh, I'm playing X-Wing Alliance, as I said, and one of the fun features of that is that you can set the turret on the top of your YT-1300 Corellian transport to defensive fire. And, you know, set up as like a point defense system to try and knock down incoming missiles. Maybe you do invest a lot of money on a good turret system and then keep the cheap old missiles on the underwing and then just your standard guns on the front. Well, there you go. Now, let's get into the feedback loop. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendlies! So let's just be friendly! And from our show post over at GuardFrequency.com, we hear from Red Star SWE. Thanks for a great show, first of all. Secondly, I would like to know a bit more about stealth mechanics. If you have to hide in a Star's Corona, or if there will be actual stealth modules. I would also want to know what sets Star Citizen apart from EVE other than perspective. Lastly, a prediction. I foresee a lot of fake emergency broadcasts and ambushes out there in space. Winky face. Well, uh, yeah, that uh, that whole guard frequency thing is going to be a two-edged sword, and I'm looking forward to uh, responding to some of those fake broadcasts. Uh, oh, yes. Forward weapons hot. Yeah, and, and on the uh, stealth modules question, you are pretty psychic, sir, because our next show happens to be show 007. So uh, give a listen to our Nuggets for Nuggets section next week, and we'll cover the stealth and sneakiness options that you have in Star Citizen, what we know so far anyway. Regarding the differences between EVE and Star Citizen, with EVE, 
your ship is the character, whereas in Star Citizen you will be in a first-person view of a person inside a ship, and the differences are quite subtle there in the fact that you can get out of your cockpit and wander around the inside of your ship and so on. But secondly, it's going to be a lot more of a space sim, whereas EVE is very much, I find a system I want to go to, I double-click on it, and my ship just goes in that direction. With this one, you will literally be able to control, okay, I want to go like two meters forward, I want to go three meters back, I want to dip this way, I want to pitch roll that way. And so it's going to be a lot more engaging and less of a spreadsheet. You described it very, very accurately. I'm playing E right now, and except that, you know, with Rubicon, we got to get out of our capsules, basically. Literally, it is just big ships going from one sector to another, and a lot more action will be happening in Star Citizen. Absolutely. And via the Robert Space Industries forums, we hear from our good friend Chivalry Bean. He says, just for God's sake, don't do the secret handshake with the hand of that sticky from the thread. That is gross. All right. Well, thanks, Chivalry Bean. But that was kind of an inside joke. I want to get this out to everybody. We need everybody's help to make your lives easier. Over on the Fansites forum, the regularly released podcasts are all sticky to the top of the Fansites subforum. We need to be there, too, as we have a release schedule that's more rigid than concrete twiglets dipped in granite and coated in the Queen's diamonds. So everybody, jump on our main forum thread next week or on our show post next week in the fan sites subforum and give us some thumbs up and some requests on those threads to get us stickied on the fan site subforums. Via Twitter, we hear from Mac. Hey guys, loving the new show. Listen to episodes one through four before I looked at the game and oh my God, keep the great work coming. Then he follows up with thank you. Watched all the game trailers now, and I'm hooked. Plus, your show is ace. Keep it up. You're damn right our show is ace. We're delightful. We're totally ace. Yeah. <laughs> and from our email, squawk at guardfrequency.com, we hear from Pally. I would be interested in your thoughts on in-game alts, whether multi-boxing or playing multiple accounts simultaneously will be common. Ooh. That's that a good question. A well, I don't know. I mean, certainly in games like EVE, it's very popular to do multiboxing. And to a lesser extent, even in games like Star Trek Online and, hell, even like Lord of the Rings Online. So I'd imagine it will be happening. Whether it'll be common or not, I'm not really too sure. I guess that depends on how much AFK gaming you can do. You know, can you just set one ship to go and mine something and then hop on another character and just start flying around and blowing people up and then switch back just to check on your mining progress? I mean, I don't know what you guys think. I've never been a fan yeah. of multi boxing but i understand it i think you know there are people who just want to dominate a particular game and so they'll try every advantage they can to get ahead but i don't think this game is not one of those ones where you're really trying to get ahead on something so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out i I can see a possible advantage to doing that you might have one character that's just your hauler guy you know and you have him set up and you just sort of take off and head into deep space and then you alt-tab over to your other instance of uh, Star Citizen and fly your combat guy around. Then you just go back and forth checking, keep your hauler guy in the high security areas and just do routine runs and just babysit him a little bit and then go play your real character or whatever on the other one. I mean, that I guess I, I, that could be something I might try uh, depending on how the transport mechanic works. Yeah. I might give that a shot. The other thing to also bear in mind is that this game, whilst it's a massively multiplayer online RPG, it's not 
an RPG in the sense of World of Warcraft or any of that ilk. There might be a big PvE event, but I highly doubt that you're going to be running raids to get the latest cool loot. And so, no. you know, you're not going to want to multibox a whole party of characters just to get no. your primary character the loot that they're after. You know, so I can see that that would cut down on it a lot as well. It might happen, but I think it's going to depend a lot on how active you have to be during those sort of yeah. milk run transport missions. Well, one thing that we haven't broached in the podcast yet is the skill progression. Why do games continually need some type of level requirement or a skill progression of some kind? What if we all had everything and all we had to do was earn it monetarily? Yeah. So that well, we know uh, Pally also goes on to say, uh, also generating credits. How long should a player who hasn't taken a pledge take to earn a ship personally i would feel a bit ripped off if you could earn a freelancer in game in less than three months well we have a little bit of an answer on that already chris has said on a couple of occasions that he thinks about 60 hours of gameplay should be about equivalent to a constellation so if you're really working at the game for about 60 hours you should be able to earn enough to buy a constellation Probably not enough to give it all the fancy upgrades, but at least, you know, get the hull. And I think it's also important to bear in mind, like they've said time and time again, you're not actually paying money for the ships. You're pledging to the game and they're giving you a ship in return, and that's a completely separate concept. So yeah. a freelancer isn't worth $110. It's just if you pledge 110 they give you a freelancer equally. A Hornet could be way more valuable in the right hands, but just because it's a $30 ship doesn't mean that it's only worth $30 and that equates to $30 of in-game time so the key thing there is to separate the idea of how much you're pledging from what you're getting as the two are literally completely separate so yeah it could be possible to earn a freelancer within three months but then you're not paying for the ship again it's what you get as a reward for giving them some dosh well and that goes back to our squawk box segment too you know it's all about the relative value in the game you know, separate it from the dollars that you're pledging to get alpha access and, and your three-inch ship model and your printed materials, all that kind of stuff. The game is still vaporware at this point, kids. Yep. So you're just helping fund the dream of getting it. And as a thank you, they're going to let you speed up your initial immediate progress in the game. No matter how long they, as designers, decide it should take somebody in-game effort-wise to earn a freelancer or a constellation, this is their way of saying thanks for sticking with us from the very beginning. We think that your time and energy and money spent paying attention to the game through its development cycle is worth saving you some time once the Persistent Universe goes live. Well, do we deserve a Golden Globe for Best Star Citizen Podcast? Should we try doing the show backwards? Let us know. Here are some ways you can get in touch with us. Check out our forum post at forums.robertspaceindustries.com. You can leave a comment on this episode's show notes at guardfrequency.com. And now you can also subscribe to us via feeds.guardfrequency.com or just sign us on iTunes. Or hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak. Leave a comment and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. And if you're old school like us, shoot us an email, squawk at guardfrequency.com. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute and tell us what's on your mind. And before we go, we just want to give a special thanks to all of our Twitter followers. There's been a ton of activity this week. So special thanks to at SaroFRKZ, at KlingonWriter, at MidnightShadow7, at StarCitizenRev, at CaptainMacSTO, at HyperspaceCanon, at SubspaceRadio, at Squirrelly, at StowJamesLee, and at David Swafford from Cloud Imperium Games himself. David Swafford. Woo! 
Welcome aboard, David. Yay. And just a special thanks to everybody who throughout the week has liked our posts on Facebook, has shared them, and have retweeted. You guys, you're helping to spread the word. It is fantastic. Keep up the good work. And that brings us to the end of Episode 6 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with Episode 007 on the 28th of January. Please send us your feedback about the show. Hit our website, guardfrequency.com, our Facebook page, facebook.com slash guardfreak, our Twitter, at guardfreak, our email, squawk at guardfrequency.com, or by hitting the contact form at the top of our website, or on our show's forum thread over at robertspaceindustries.com. All the details for all of the ways you can get in touch with us will be in the show notes. Do you like what we do? Want to come and join us and whisper sweet nothings in our ear? If so, send a note to squawk at guardfrequency.com. And if you're looking for a best buddy mate pal or two, check out our organization thread over at robertspaceindustries.com, Guard Frequency Response. A link to our recruitment thread will be in the show notes. And look for our organization thread next week, guys. We want to thank the entire team over at Guard Frequency and Priority One Productions. Special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit ronaldjenkins.com for more of his work. And we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If there's no one listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. Turn to 330, count 15. Squawk 7700. Stay on the guard. And intro in 3, 2, oh. Oh, formalities, Jeffrey. I'm sorry. I was excited. <laughs> I got the intro. <laughs> I get to go first this week. It's all wonderful. Yay. <laughs> intro in three, a two. Greetings, uh, citizens and ci- ah, and that's yeah. I had it all worked <laughs> yes! out in my head too. Yes. First <laughs> in done. But that makes it perfect for black ass and gr- that came out wrong. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Right. <clears throat> okay, you wrote that. I'm I did. Yeah, yeah. Black okay. glass. Okay. No ringing. Uh, down. We, can, right. we can have a recall if you want. Another, no, 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 no. Yeah. Genuinely, we, no. Genuinely no rigging, says the guy that runs the website. Okay. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Okay. You know what? This comes from a guy whose democracy is based on who can shout the loudest from the back bench. Come on. Uh, excuse me. Our, our democracy was handed down by God Himself to the Queen. <laughs> we are a theocracy. Yes, I, 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 I have to admit, I, I kind of like the idea of a monarch. So, <laughs> <laughs> with me at the well, head of that, oh, yeah, right? That's the, yeah, the big fan. Fitted out with eight Zytec maneuvering thrusters, two TR five engines, and a bearing GH what Beijing. Beijing. Yeah, it's a place in China. I've heard of it. Yeah. They serve great duck there. They do. Called Peking. And dim sum. <laughs> or dim none. And that brings us to the end of episode six of Guard Frequency. We'll be ack. We'll be ack. Yes, we will. We will be ack. Hey, Swedish chef. I like that. Apparently in the last 24 hours, there was the latest wingman... Why do I struggle you with that can't word? Say wingman. What is the uh, wingman? I can when I'm not thinking about it. Wingman, wingman. I'm going to pass this over to you. Was there anything interesting in wingman? Then you did it again. I swear to Pete. If Pete what? was here, he'd smack you. And he'd swear at you and tell you to get wingman's right. Do it again. Okay. So, is there anything interesting in wingman's hangar, Pete? Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> 
Please tell me you did that on purpose. I really <laughs> wish I did. <laughs> well, okay. hey. uh, um, I'll speak for Pete, but uh, hang on. <laughs> let, let me let it. me just record that. Hang on. <laughs> So, is there anything interesting in Wingman's... You know what? Just sod it. Just your Pete. Your Pete will do that. That's fine. Okay.